Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for the privilege, Grace Baptist Chapel, to bring God's word to you tonight. But with the permission of my elders, I send you greetings from your elect sister, Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Owensboro, Kentucky. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you have your Bible, please find your place in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and as you're making your way to your place, allow me to pray once more. Pour forth thy spirit on us, Lord, deep mysteries to know that we may find grace in our souls and in it also grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Hear what the word of the Lord says. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Proverbs helps humble listeners obtain wisdom that will guide them on the path of righteousness. God's people no longer desire to live like fools once they have embraced the call to turn from folly. Wisdom necessarily changes how a person thinks and acts while they live in this world. Well, this is especially relevant because wisdom isn't some impractical and abstract concept that can, is unable to benefit us. Wisdom helps us to think about some of the most practical day-to-day realities that we face in this life. And perhaps nothing is more practical and consistently on our minds in this life than money. So in this message from Proverbs, I want us to consider wisdom's call to honor the Lord with our wealth. And I want to caveat by saying that the purpose of this message is not uh, to consider the amount of money that we give to the Lord, but rather it is to consider our duty to give to the Lord. So we'll consider this purpose under two points of explanation. The first one being a little bit longer than the second one. And then I have some uses from our text. So if you would, look again at the passage we just read. And our first point is this. Honor the Lord by prioritizing him in giving. Honor the Lord by prioritizing him in giving. Chapter 3 of the Proverbs is filled with exhortations followed by promises or perhaps Better stated, proverbial observations. So the structure of verses 9 and 10 is like this. If you will do this, then this will happen. So under our first heading, I want us to consider the exhortation in verse 9, and then we'll consider the promise associated with that exhortation in verse 10. And we'll consider this exhortation in verse 9 by asking ourselves three questions. And the first of these three questions is this. What is it to honor? Wisdom's voice issues this command. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor expresses rightly prioritizing the Lord in the context of making a sacrifice to him. 
and the act of giving or sacrificing, the Lord must not be forgotten. He must not be ignored as givers go through the motions. Giving is an act of worship. Therefore, in giving, the Lord must be worshipped as the chiefest being. He must not be dishonored or disrespected as a subordinate end for us to accomplish some ulterior purpose or for us to get something out of the chiefest or worshiping the chiefest being and putting a different motive before that. No, he must be remembered. He must be revered and rightly honored when we sacrificially give to the Lord. Well, other passages of Scripture and God's word which use this verb, make the idea of honoring through sacrifice more observable. So just listen to a few passages from God's word and connect in your mind honor and sacrificial giving. Psalm 50 verse 23 says, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice honors me. In Isaiah 43 verse 23, the Lord rebukes Israel with these words. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings Or honored me with your sacrifices. So to honor in our context means to give Yahweh the proper placement that he is due in the worshipful act of sacrificial giving. So we've answered our first question. But our second question from verse 9 is, what is your wealth or what is your possessions? Well, the word for wealth is translated a few different ways. You can hear that in the way I just expressed the question. Most translations say, especially our modern translations say, honor the Lord with your wealth. The New King James Version, which I've read to you tonight, says, honor the Lord with your possessions. And the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, translates this phrase as, honor the Lord with your just doings. Or your just labors. Well, these translations help us to get a sense of what we are to honor the Lord with. Our wealth refers to the temporary gift of money and possessions that the Lord has given to us in this life. The means through which the Lord gives us wealth and possessions is often through our just doings or through our just earnings. Wealth refers to monetary assets that have been acquired in this life from the work of our own hands, but given to us ultimately from the hand of our God who gives us every good gift that we have. And this is what we are to honor our God with. So as we acquire the temporary blessing of money and possessions in this life, we are told that we should worship Yahweh by sacrificially giving to him. But our third question from verse 9 that we must ask ourselves is, what is your first fruits? Following the grammar of the passage, we are told, honor the Lord with the first fruits of all your produce or the first fruits of all of your increase. I would guess tonight that not all of us are crop farmers, but we can understand the picture that's being presented to us in our text. Throughout the first five books of the Old Testament, Israel was called upon to sacrifice the first portion of their crops to the Lord. So again, just consider a few examples of this. Exodus 23, 19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Leviticus 23, 10. When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, 
you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Deuteronomy 18. The first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep, you shall give him. By giving a portion of the first fruits to the Lord, worshipers recognize that everything they earned came to them from the hand of God. When they gave the first fruits, they worshiped the Lord, like the man who prayed the following in Deuteronomy chapter 26. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs of wonder. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given to me. So again, brothers and sisters, we may not all be crop farmers, but the moral principle of these passages teach us that we should give the first and the best of what we earn to our God. First fruits are the first and best portion of our earnings that we should give to Yahweh. Or stated in another way, we shouldn't only be willing to give to our God what we deem to be the excesses or what we deem to be our leftovers after we have paid for all of our other expenses. No, instead, we must prioritize Yahweh in our giving by sacrificing our offerings to him with the first of our earnings. And by giving in this way, we are wise with our money. We acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. So allow me to summarize where we've been so far. Honor means to give Yahweh the proper placement that he is due in the worshipful act of sacrificial giving. Wealth refers to monetary assets that we have acquired in this life that come from the work of our own hands, but are given to us ultimately from the hand of God. And the first fruits are the first and best portion of our earnings that we should give to Yahweh. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. But now I want you to consider the proverbial promise or the divinely inspired observation that Solomon makes found in verse 10. This is the promise or the divinely inspired observation. To the person who worships Yahweh by sacrificing and giving the first fruits of their wealth, we are told, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. In verse 10, Solomon gives two pictures that help us understand that God will abundantly provide for and bless the worshiper who gives their offering to him. So first of all, the picture of a filled barn is revealed. Just Picture this barn in your minds with me. The person with the filled barn began the collecting of their crops by giving to Yahweh the first of what they collected. And now they have everything they need. In the world's eyes, they began with what appears to look like a loss. But the worshiper gives his first fruits because he knows that everything he has ever received or ever will receive comes to him from the Lord whom he follows. So by rightly prioritizing God and giving, Solomon observes that the Lord blesses back to the giver everything he stands in need of. The barn is filled with enough crop to eat throughout the year, even when it's not harvest time. The barn is filled with enough seed to plant for the next year's crop season. The one who prioritizes Yahweh through sacrificial giving is blessed with the satisfaction that God provides for all of their needs. So that's the first picture, 
that Solomon gives us. But consider the second picture. We are told, then your vats will be bursting with new wine. Before modern technology, wine producers collected their grapes and they would stomp on them until the juice would be collected in a reservoir called a vat. Typically at ground level, the juice would remain in this vat until it had fermented into wine. And Solomon observes that for the person who honors the Lord with their wealth, the Lord blesses back to them so much abundance that their vats are overflowing. The Lord provides so much wine that the vats cannot even contain them. Such an abundant blessing strongly echoes what God spoke through the prophet Malachi while rebuking the Israelite prophets for not giving their right offerings. From chapter 3, you are probably very familiar with these words. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. To the person who rightly prioritizes prioritizes Yahweh in their giving, Solomon observes That the Lord not only provides for them, but abundantly blesses them with more than they could have even imagined. So brothers and sisters, I want us from this passage to consider how wisdom often seems very paradoxical to us. In the world's eyes, it seems stupid to gain something by first giving away our first earnings, doesn't it? The unbeliever, the fool, says something like this. You cannot gain more wealth by first subtracting from your wealth. But the unbeliever fails to recognize that they are living in God's created universe. The fool leans on his own understanding and he gives nothing to the Lord. The fool not only robs God of the financial gifts that are due to him, but the fool also earns unjustly. Since he suppresses that there is a God to whom he is accountable, the fool tries to do business in this world and act as if God does not exist. He lies about the facts in his negotiations to manipulate other people so he can get more than what is fairly due to him. He lies about his financial records because he doesn't see any other way imaginable that his barns can be filled unless he tells lies upon lies. When others are resting... The fool awakes in the middle of the night to steal and break God's law so that he can take from them what they have justly earned and what the Lord has blessed them with by the work of their own hands. Oh, brothers and sisters, wisdom, though, presents us with the opposite picture of acquiring wealth. By faith, Christians receive abundance by first losing and giving By faith, Christians sacrificially give and then rest upon the care of our sovereign provider to take care of all that we need. The wise don't rely upon sinning to unjustly fill up their barns. They earn justly and give to the Lord who first gave to them. So brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you to sacrificially give to the Lord. This is the way of wisdom. You can ask yourselves, In your walk with the Lord, am I worshiping God by honoring him with my wealth? Am I giving to him the first fruits? 
Well, brethren, give to the Lord and see how faithful he is to provide for you in all of your needs. The world is greedily storing up self and serving self, but we must prioritize God and honor him with our wealth. Those who will sacrificially give will be satisfied and abundantly blessed. So this is our first heading. We've considered our duty to honor the Lord by prioritizing him in giving. And we've seen the blessings attached to doing so. But our last and our much shorter point before we consider our uses is this. Honor the Lord by giving to needy image bearers. Honor the Lord by giving to needy image bearers. When the Lord has blessed the work of our hands and has decided to grant wealth to us or possessions to us, God's people should share and be giving to people who are in need. Wisdom is built upon the foundation of God's moral law. And God's moral law teaches us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thus, giving to needy image bearers is the way of wisdom because wisdom teaches us to love others. So let us consider a few Proverbs to establish this premise. First, listen to Proverbs 14.31 and see that the one who has mercy on the needy honors the Lord. Our passage says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him, him, the Lord, him. The word for oppress is used to describe how a greedy person treats a debtor who is unable to make a payment. The greedy man or the oppressor, when he sees someone is struggling, puts his foot on the pedal. When he sees the opportunity to squeeze and take more money out of him, he oppresses him. Instead of being merciful and generous, the fool taunts and mocks the poor man and stands over him and treats him poorly. But this is insulting to God. How one acts towards those who are in need reveals their heart. And the Lord sees the hearts of all men and he is especially displeased whenever the poor are oppressed. But conversely, the one who is generous to the needy honors the Lord. This person desires to mirror the grace that they have received by being gracious to others. He understands that God is the maker of all people, including the poor. And he desires to honor God by being gracious to God's needy image bearers. He understands the essence of the Proverbs, which states, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So rather than being offensive in God's eye, the generous man obtains the blessing of honoring Yahweh. Second, listen to Proverbs 19, verse 17, and consider that the Lord repays those who are generous to the poor. Our text says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. The giver in this phrase is described as the one gracing or the one showing favor. The man of grace has made a consistent effort to give to those who are in need instead of continually giving to self. And when he gives, our text says he is lending to the Lord. This analogy, of course, is not meant to be taken over literalistically. We know 
that the God that we serve is not in need of anything. In fact, many passages in scriptures explicitly tell us that our Lord is not in need of man. Rather, this passage teaches us that when we give to the poor, it is as if the Lord will repay the good that we have done to others. The generous man gives expecting to receive nothing back from the poor. And at the same time, the generous man gives expecting to receive a future blessing from the Lord according to what he has given. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to generously give. I'm not encouraging you to give unwisely. But generously give to people who are in need when the Lord affords you the opportunity to do so. Solomon's divine obspiration states that the Lord will give future blessings to those who are generous to others. And the greater Solomon in the new covenant, Jesus Christ, has similarly told us, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Our last passage under this heading is found in Proverbs 22, verse 9, and it reveals that the generous eye will be blessed for sharing bread with the poor. The text says, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Again, the person commended is the one who embraces the poor and needy rather than mocking them and pushing them away. Rather than hoarding for a future day of trouble or eating in excess to the point of gluttony, the person with the good eye shares bread with the hungry. This person sits in the company of people who the world might mock because of their lowly and needy condition and state. But the proverbial promise is that the generous person will be blessed by the Lord. As another promise states, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. And as the New Testament states in the context of giving, 2 Corinthians says, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Well then, brothers and sisters, let us give to those who are in need with the expectation of being a blessed and happy people. Give to the Lord and honor him by rightly prioritizing him in the act of sacrificial giving. And give to the Lord by honoring needy image bearers. Let us consider some uses now from this text. And the first is this. Christians must be giving people because we have freely been given much. We've been considering how the law as a ruling guide for Christians can compel us to be generous. But I also want to impress upon you that the gospel of Jesus Christ also teaches us this spiritual virtue. The surety of the covenant of grace, Jesus Christ. He perfectly displays generosity and giving. He was the one that had a generous eye. He was the one who was willing to share his bread with poor sinners. He had mercy on needy people during his earthly ministry instead of oppressing them. But the greatest display of his redemption accomplished was through his humiliation. Jesus became incarnate. He veiled his deity and he took a lowly position under the law. He suffered persecution, opposition and oppression while being completely compassionate and caring to those who were in need. Our text or not our text, but the word of God from John tells us that he came not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him. Though he never sinned, 
He went to the cross to become sin and to pay for sin. And the Apostle Paul interprets this amazing act of spiritual generosity by using the language of richness and poverty. You know the text, don't you? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Christians are people who have received what we do not deserve. By nature, we deserve the wrath and curse of God for our sins. Yet through the grace offered in the gospel, Jesus graciously gives us what we do not deserve and could not accomplish in ourselves. We deserve eternal death. And Jesus generously gives his people eternal life. We deserve to despair. And Jesus generously grants us peace with God. We deserve punishment, and Jesus has graced us with his reward. So, brothers and sisters, in light of this good news, may we be compelled through the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be a giving people. Since the Lord has made us sensible of how much we have freely received, let us be giving for the sake of others. May the love that Christ displayed to us, remind us to be loving to others. And I'll clarify one thing before I move on. We're not ever going to give ourselves up for the sins of others, but we can emulate Jesus' generous posture by being a giving people to others. Our second use is this. Christians must be giving people for the maintenance of the gospel. Earlier in Proverbs 3.9, we came across this verb, honor. In other passages of God's word, a sacrificial gift is to be given not only to the Lord, but also to the Lord's servants. So related are these idea of rightful respect and sacrificial giving that the noun form of honor is used to describe the gift itself in some contexts. So, for instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, when Paul addresses giving financially to the pastors of the church, he says... Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. And just for us to further understand that this is about giving financially, our text says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out its grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Or, in other words, we might paraphrase this by saying that the pastor who pastors well is worthy of his pay. Giving sacrificially to your local church is necessary so your local church, of which you are a member of, has a gospel ministry. Under ordinary circumstances, churches shouldn't have ten men who rotate every sermon on a volunteer basis. Under ordinary circumstances, the church should give double honor to those who labor and preaching and teaching. The Lord Jesus has ordained that they that preach the gospel should give or should live by the gospel. Our third use is this. Honoring the Lord with our wealth challenges us to put unbelief to death. Honoring the Lord with our wealth challenges us to put unbelief to death. Under this use, I want to impress upon you that giving is not only an act of spiritual worship. It is that. 
but it is also an exercise of faith. By giving to the Lord our first fruits, we are acknowledging that we believe that God will provide for us again and again and again in the future. By faith, we believe the proverbial promises that our God will give us what we need and that he will abundantly supply for us whenever we rightly prioritize him. By faith, we are assured that God provides for the sparrow and he will more certainly take care of us, his people. So instead of sinfully holding on to our wealth because we aren't sure of our economic futures, by faith, we give. Instead of trying to fill our barns by storing up, we believe that God will bless back to us when we give to him the first of our fruits. So brothers and sisters, there is a place for being wise with savings, but do not doubt God's ability to provide for you as you give to him. Fourth, I want to apply that honoring the Lord with our wealth challenges us to put covetousness to death. As followers of the Lord, we are at war against our sinful flesh. The flesh that we are still in tempts us to sin by envying and grieving at the good of our neighbors. The flesh tempts us to hate our neighbors and to treat them poorly because they possess something that we want or that we think that we need. The flesh causes us to sinfully compare our possessions to our neighbor's possessions and loathe whenever we don't have as much as them. But wisdom, wisdom teaches us to rightfully think and rightfully act in this world. Wisdom teaches us to put these temptations of the flesh to death. Rather than fixating upon the possessions and wealth that our neighbor has, The Spirit compels us and helps us to consider what God's Word says and to give to needy image bearers who don't have as much as we have. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us all, let us make war. Let us make war against our flesh by putting the sin of covetousness to death. And let us try by God's grace to give to the Lord and to give to needy image bearers as we try to make war and putting covetousness to death. Honor the Lord by honoring needy people. Fifth, by way of a use, I want to impress upon us that these proverbial promises must be understood rightly, or we could potentially err to the danger of prosperity theology. If one really wanted to, they could twist Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and verse 10 into a get-rich-quick formula. You can hear the voice of a false prophet, and perhaps you have even heard the voice of a false prophet saying something like this. If you will just sow a financial offering to God, he promises that he's going to make you rich in this life if you will just have enough faith. But such erroneous statements fail to communicate the meaning of our text. God is not a genie in a bottle waiting to give us three financial gifts. We don't give to him with the primary expectation of getting something out of the Lord. God is not a means to an end. Solomon is not guaranteeing an overwhelming financial return for every person who gives. No, rather, as he often does in the Proverbs, he's making an inspired observation as he looks and sees how life is around him 
that the Lord often, oftentimes, provides for and abundantly blesses humble saints who want to give to him and worship him when they prioritize him in giving. So may we not dishonor the Lord by using him as a means to an end. May we make sure that we do not use this text as a text for prosperity theology. And lastly, if you are an unbeliever here tonight, if you do not know Christ, I want to apply to you that no amount of money that you give can justify you before God. Or stated another way, if you are not a Christian, there is no dollar amount that is able to purchase your salvation. Your wealth might make you favorable with men in this life, but it does not make you favored by God. The triune God will not take your financial bribe for entrance into heaven. He is not a corrupt judge that can be paid off. So unbeliever, you know by nature that you ought to honor the Lord. You know that you ought to, but your financial giving is vain worship if it does not include faith in the mediator, Jesus Christ. Your giving, if it does not include faith in Jesus Christ, is a work of the law. And the Apostle Paul tells us, but by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. So instead of trying to earn peace with God through your works of giving, I want to encourage you, quit looking to the law. Instead, trust in Christ. You, if you're an unbeliever here tonight, you, not the Lord, is the one who stands in need of receiving. You stand in need of receiving what he offers sinners like you in the gospel. You need your conscience to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. You need your folly and your wickedness to be forgiven by the mediator. You need grace. And grace is found in the person and work of Jesus. So believe in him. Believe in Jesus' sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection. And trust yourself to him. Union with him by faith is the only way that you could be made right with the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, as we've been considering Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, we have seen our duty to honor the Lord with our wealth. May we honor the Lord with our wealth. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have provided for us abundantly. You take care of the needs of your people, both temporary and spiritual lord we ask you help us by your grace to be a generous people just as you have been generous to us please lord help us to have a good eye toward our neighbors help us to rightly prioritizing you as we give to you father please grant us salvation or please grant salvation to those here tonight that have heard this message Please show them their need of grace. Father, please grant all these requests in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and please our God in response to the Lord's